Welcome to Hence the Future podcast. I'm Adam Cronin. I'm Justin Clark. And today we're discussing the future of habits. That means we'll explore how habits are formed, how to break bad habits through the golden rule for habit change, why New Year's resolutions so often fail, and how habits are likely to evolve in the future. To start, Justin, perhaps you can describe how habits are formed and what's going on is the brain as we grow and learn new behaviors. Yeah, so when we first learn things, whether it's actions like how to open a door or associations, a lot of brain power is initially used when you're forming these initial um, connections or these first connections and pathways in your brain. But once enough repetition has taken place, it actually turns out that in the mind, in, in your brain, uh, the amount of energy required to send, um, to activate these pathways, these neuronal pathways, is um, a lot less than when these habits or learnings, associations, actions were initially formed. So in the context of habits, these, you know, these default actions and associations are actually considered habits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely an energy-saving mechanism where mm-hmm. we encode certain actions that start off being really difficult. Like, I remember mm-hmm. the first time I was learning how to drive, and it's a little mm-hmm. bit terrifying, Like, especially when yep. you're backing up, you're looking at your rearview mirror, you're deciding how far the car behind you really is based on what the mirror looks like. Mm-hmm. It's really difficult when you're first learning the action, but once you've done it enough times with enough repetitions, like you say, it becomes encoded specifically in the basal ganglia part of the brain. Mm -hmm. And that's a really deep part of the brain that's almost at the root of the brain Mm -hmm. stem. And there's been some pretty incredible experiments where one man, Eugene, had damaged his brain to such an extent that he could not remember almost anything. He couldn't create new memories. And you Mm -hmm. could even ask him in his home, you know, you know, where is, you know, where is the kitchen? Where is the bathroom? Where is your bedroom? And he had no idea. Like he couldn't answer the simplest questions. But then when you said, what do you do when you're hungry? He would just automatically walk over to the kitchen that he purportedly didn't know where it was, go Uh into one particular drawer, take out a bowl of nuts and eat it. And so that's because even though he didn't have his memory, he had it encoded deep in his basal ganglia. And that's mm-hmm. like the power of habits are just so deep rooted. And mm-hmm. I, you brought up the other interesting concept, which is the default mode network. And this mm-hmm. is sort of your whole network of the you know automated actions that you do every day yep. just based on repetition. Mm-hmm. So like, for instance, you know, in my own habit, habitual schedule, you know, every morning I have my sort of wake up routine where I go, I brush my teeth, I do my thing. Then I have my driving routine where I drive to work and I listen to the daily and then I, I get mm-hmm. to work and then I have my work routine where I, you know, get a coffee and order breakfast and, you know, do whatever I, I need to do, like make my to do list for the day. And then mm-hmm. some of the stuff you do at work is truly novel, like you get an email for some new project that you've never heard about before. And that Mm -hmm. requires real thinking and a lot more thought power. But then most of your day, 
you know, you drive home, you have that routine, you have your evening routine, whatever that is, whether it's watching TV or working out, and then you have your bedtime routine. Uh, Scientists and cognitive behavioral psychologists have estimated that between 40 and 95% of all daily actions are habits. So only a small percentage of what we do day to day is not Mm -hmm. habit based. And it probably depends on who the person is, right? If you're a factory worker that has a very rigid schedule and you basically do the same exact thing every day, it might be closer to the 95%. Whereas Mm -hmm. if you're a creative and you try to, you know, you go out and you try to do something a little bit different every day, then maybe it's a little bit closer to the 40%. But either way, that's a very high percentage. Like when I was uh, reading this book, uh, Power of Habit, I, uh, mm-hmm. I did not realize it was that high um, yeah. until I saw that. Yeah, it's, it's similar to also Daniel Kahneman's notion of thinking fast and slow, where yep. most of the thinking we do is fast. It's immediate. We don't even have to consider something for more than half a second. We immediately mm-hmm. know what to do in a given situation. But the slow thinking is sort of the deliberate rational, you know, creative, really considering a concept and almost in a meditative mindset, letting yourself absorb it and think about it from all angles. And that's Mm -hmm. much more rare. Another concept I think is useful is this idea of chunking. And Mm -hmm. by studying the brain, scientists have found out that we chunk certain behaviors and certain situations as, uh, you know, in the brain as something that becomes automatic over time. So like, like I said, my bathroom routine, that's one chunk of behavior. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, what you do when you get a phone call, you have a certain way that you like answer the call and, you know, the friendly, sociable type of uh, norms sort of take over. There's all Mm -hmm. these different like chunking of of behavior. And that's a lot of what learning is. It's like you start with this blank slate as a baby where you don't even really see a difference between yourself and the environment in which you're inhabiting. But then over time, you start to chunk certain behaviors like, oh, here's what mm-hmm. happens when it's time for eating. Here's what happens when it's time for for sleeping. Um, you know, here, here's what happens when it's time for playtime. And you build these chunks up over time until there's very little of your life that you even need to consider in any deep way. Most of it's just purely automatic. Mm-hmm. And one of the really cool things about, you know, this chunking and this learning is really just how awesome the brain is at learning. So we can learn things that are not necessarily exactly related to a habit we want to form, but it's peripherally related. And the sort of chunking lets your brain pick out things from other learnings and other things that have happened to you. And you can learn new tasks faster or you know, learn new habits faster. And, you know, we've also talked a lot about how habits are formed. How do we, how do we break these habits? Yeah, that's 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 kind of the big one, because sometimes we have really, we have habits that serve us, but we also have habits that don't serve us. Totally. Yeah. So let's, let's take an example. So a lot of most smokers, start in their teenage years. There's very few people that pick up smoking when you're like 30 or 40 years old. Mm -hmm. And how that usually starts, whether it's smoking cigarettes or vaping jewels, 
is usually you're in sociable situations with friends and you're jeweling as a way to sort of be more sociable. It helps you relax mm -hmm. a little bit. You start to associate it with, you know, going out in the town and having fun with your friends yeah. and partying. And maybe mm -hmm. also you associate it with some romantic encounters that you have. Yep. And that becomes so ingrained as like a pleasurable activity that you associate with having a good time that mm -hmm. when you fast forward 20 years and you're still jeweling just on your couch alone in your apartment, there's no longer the rewards of being sociable or being with friends like that whole context is gone. But the mm -hmm. pattern, the habit has been so ingrained deep in your basal ganglia that mm -hmm. it's almost impossible or it feels impossible to actually change that habit and to stop. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. this brings us to the golden rule for habit change. And that is that if you keep the cue and the reward constant, but you change the routine, that's how you can change a habit. So every yeah. habit, they call it the habit loop, meaning there's okay. a cue, which is, you know, I'm sitting on the couch, I'm feeling a little bit stressed or anxious, and so I, I automatically sort of reach for my jewel. And then there's the routine, which is that's reaching for your jewel, putting it to your lips and inhaling. And then the reward is you get this physical sensation that your brain has learned to associate with, you know, being de-stressed, mm -hmm. um, you know, feeling more relaxed. And yep. so if you can keep the cue and the reward constant, but change the routine, that's how you fix it. So imagine you, mm -hmm. you keep the cue constant. So you're going to feel a little bored or a little stressed or anxious and mm -hmm. you're going to want that feeling of relief. But rather than hitting a jewel, maybe instead you could go for a jog, you could meditate, you could do 10 push-ups, you could just yep. take a break and go call your friend. Um, there are lots of ways that you can overcome your initial negative habit by mm -hmm. switching it out with a more positive habit. Yeah. I think I love the push-up thing because it's so simple, right? It probably mm -hmm. takes less actual work than pulling, pulling out your cigarette. Because if you want to smoke a cigarette, you have to go outside, maybe not with a jewel, but with a cigarette, you have to go outside to a, or to a smoking area, pull it out, light it, all this stuff. If you get the feeling of anxiety or whatever it is that triggers the need to smoke a cigarette, if you just drop down and do 10, 20, 30 push-ups, you're probably going to feel a lot better afterwards yeah. too, because you get that, those, it's like a small rush of endorphins. You know, it's not a perfect workout or by any means, but it's something you're doing something physical and oh, you yeah, get you'll the have that real it. physical sensation too, which mm -hmm. is why it's like an effective replacement for something mm -hmm. that also gives you a physical sensation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, I think another important point is that the more you do it, like each time that you do push-ups instead of hitting your jewel, that becomes a competing routine is the term mm -hmm. for it. And the more that you give power to that competing routine, meaning the more times that you actually do the routine that's better for your health, that becomes mm -hmm. more powerful in the brain relative to your old routine. Yeah. But it's still true that oftentimes, you know, whether it's alcoholics or gambling addicts or smoking addicts, whenever you encounter a really difficult situation in your life, like 
if you find out one of your parents has cancer or you just lost your job or someone broke up with you or whatever it is, mm -hmm. that's when you tend to return to your old habit. Because even, no mm -hmm. matter how many times you've done it the right way with push-ups or whatever, it's mm -hmm. still more deeply rooted, whatever your original habit is. And so through AA and other studies of, of people who are addicts, they found that the other X factor that you need to overcome those trying times is belief. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't necessarily have to be like religious belief, but to have some belief in a higher power or really to believe that you can overcome the difficulty, yeah. Yeah. whether it's spirituality or just, you know, yeah, some sort of faith belief um, or, you know, support with a network that all cares about something higher than whatever your individual life situation is. That's mm -hmm. been the X factor that's associated with alcoholics who overcome their addiction rather than ones that relapse. Okay. Yeah, that's that's actually a really important uh, point. And what do you think in terms of you know, so a lot of people will try to form new habits. A lot of people will try to break old habits right around the time of the release of this video, which is New Year's. Yeah. yeah. So why, why is it that so many people start out with such positive intention and maybe fall off this, these new habits yeah. don't fully form and you know, it's just an issue that is seen year after year that people just kind of fall, you know, they let their habits they fall, fall the by wagon. the wayside. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I would say the biggest reason is that people with New Year's resolutions, they focus on the what rather than the how. Mm -hmm. And what that means is they focus on goals rather than systems. So a lot of people in the new year will say, I want to lose 20 pounds in the new year, or I want to lose 20 pounds by summer of 2020. Or they'll say, I want to read 20 books next year, or whatever it is, mm -hmm. they set a goal. Yeah. And the problem with goals is that they are binary in that you either succeed or fail. Like if you read less mm -hmm. than 20 books, you failed. If you read more or at least 20 books, you succeed. Yeah. Um, so they're not flexible at all. And the other thing is they're not that relevant for your day-to-day -day life because they don't tell you how you're going to accomplish your goal. They just yep. tell you what you want to do. So instead yep. of setting a goal like I want to read 20 books next year, create a system that says in the new year, every night when I'm laying in bed before I go to sleep, I'm going to read. Even if it's just one page, even if it's just one word, mm -hmm. I'm going to read. And that's my system. I'm going to go to sleep every night and read a little bit before I fall asleep. And, mm -hmm. and that is a much better system or same thing with, if you want to diet, they've found that usually when a nutritionist or a doctor says, okay, here's what you should do. You should eat vegetables. You should eat fruit. You should stay away from carbs. You should take the stairs instead of the escalator. You know, they give mm -hmm. them all these things and it's just too much. There's, it's too big of a sudden change yeah. that you're yep. way better off having a system of small wins where, for instance, they found much better results if the only thing you do is just write down everything you ate at least one day a week. It's a very yep. small commitment. Mm -hmm. But if you do that, it starts to create awareness. So you're actually aware of your own habits. And that's really the foundation 
of changing habits is first to become aware of them, become aware of the yep. habit loop. If you can mm -hmm. get in the, in the, the habit of writing down each habit loop, like, mm -hmm. you know, 1230 PM, I feel a little bit hungry, a little bit tired, and I'm just a little bit, fr you know, frustrated with the work I'm doing. Therefore, mm -hmm. I'm going to the cafeteria and grabbing a cookie. Then yeah. you, know, you see the trigger, the routine, and the reward. And then you can start to ask deeper questions like, well, what is it really? Is it that I'm, is it mostly that I'm frustrated with work? Mostly that I'm hungry? Is it mostly that I just need a break? Because yep. different routines might be better substitutes depending on what the real reason is for you to be doing the routine that you're doing. Like if it really is hunger, you should be able to have mm -hmm. an apple instead of a cookie and that's fine. If it really is like frustration with work, maybe just, you know, calling a friend or going over and talking to a colleague or taking a walk around the block and, you know, listening to a meditation podcast, maybe mm -hmm. that'll do the job. But yeah, yeah, awareness is really the foundation and they, they even have awareness training as something that they do to help addicts. Interesting. Yeah. And, and one other thing that I'll, or I guess a couple other things I would point out in terms of, you know, making these habits more sustainable is kind of like you said, make it more, make it so where um, the new habit, if anything, just restrict your previous um like instead of adding a whole bunch of stuff to your life, replace. replace or even just get rid of a couple of things. Like you, you don't necessarily need to start adding all of these new things. But for example, I think the number one diet example is don't change anything that you eat. Just change when you eat. Chain, and basically this would be um, to do some sort of intermittent fasting, which has a pretty good adherence rate. And that's, that's one way to do it because you're not changing anything except for when you eat. You can still eat the same exact stuff, um, which I think is a, a really um, important thing. This is one, that's one thing that um, Tim Ferriss talks about a lot in his like, habit-forming stuff, especially around nutrition, mm -hmm. is just if you do something that you stick to, that is easy to stick to, and you can just design your life and design systems around right, doing right. these things, you're you're going to be successful. Even if it's not a perfect diet, it's going to be successful because it's easy. And, exactly. like, and like we were saying in the beginning, these new habits require a lot of energy at the start. And the reason the old ones went out is because they require a lot less energy. And as humans, our brains will do literally anything to conserve energy. That's just the nature mm -hmm. of being alive. Yeah, focusing on yeah. the long term is so key. And that's uh, yeah. systems focus on the long term. What is sustainable for you rather mm -hmm. than what's a goal that's just a lofty target that you would like to happen in 2020. But, you know, realistically, mm -hmm. it's not that feasible. Mm -hmm. And I also find that one of the at least one thing that worked well for me a while ago, you know, I used to have a really crappy diet, I would I would literally eat anything I would eat like donuts, cookies, sugar, like anything. And this was during my cross country days, so it didn't really matter, but it still mattered because it was affecting performance probably. Um, but one of the things that I think helped was reframing how you view some of these things. When If you wanna cut something out, I don't say, oh, I'm not eating 
cookies right now, you identify as a person that does not eat cookies. Right. right? Like I am, yeah. I am not, I just don't do this at all. And it's so easy. Like yeah. for me at, yeah, at this point I can basically turn down anything that I don't think serves me because it's just like this reframing of stuff. Well, that's a, that's awareness mind. training. Yeah. So they say, yeah, yeah. they say that if you can really pay close attention to the routine that you're in and mm -hmm. ask yourself, how tasty is this cookie really? Like, what are the rewards I'm really getting for this as you eat it? <laughs> you might realize that, yeah, mm -hmm. it is really tasty and delicious, the first cookie, but the second one, I'm sort of just eating it out of habit. And I just, yeah, not, I don't actually get that much of a benefit from it because I've already had my mm -hmm. main satisfaction. So the more you can, yep. like, really pay close attention to, especially whatever your bad habits are. Uh huh that's how you have the power to change them. It's like, first you have awareness, then the next layer is willpower training. And mm -hmm. this is basically the notion that the more, whatever you do, you become stronger the more that you do it. So actually, you know, mm -hmm. Sean Hayes, one time we were at Neuhaus and he, had, he was getting in shape for the final season of Will and Grace. And mm -hmm. he just got back from the snack bar and he had a bag of nuts and he's like, you know, every time I go to the counter and I see a delicious cookie and I order the nuts instead, my willpower gets a little bit stronger. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that, that's like so true. The more times you can actually feel the trigger of, oh, I want a cookie. And then you instead get the nuts, which that's a replacement. You're not just mm -hmm. not getting anything. So that follows mm -hmm. the golden rule of habit yeah. change. Yeah. You're becoming stronger. The more you do that, the more willpower you'll have. And this extends to all areas of your life. Like it's mm -hmm. the same reason why for me, like I go to yoga every morning. That's one of my keystone habits. And maybe we can talk about keystone habits next. Yeah. But that's something that to me, like when I'm you know, in plank and my body's shaking and my mind is telling me like, just take a break, just put your knees down, like you've done enough. But then I mm -hmm. still resist that and I relax my face and I just stay zen and mindful. That mm -hmm. carries over to all aspects of my life. So if I'm having a, a coworker who's getting really emotional and is, you know, maybe shouting or something, mm -hmm. I can stay zen because I've already practiced my willpower regularly and I've grown stronger at resisting those more primal urges. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Maybe maybe talk a little bit about keystone habits. Yeah. So I guess, I mean, for me, my I would say my main keystone habit is I wake up and go to sleep at the same time every day. And mm -hmm. I go to yoga in the morning as soon as I wake up. And for me, that it makes me, not only does it make me more physically fit, so I have more energy and I'm more able to do what I need to do because I'm healthier. It also mm -hmm. makes me more, you know, I'm more emotionally stable. I'm better person to work with. I'm more collaborative. Mm -hmm. I have a better mm -hmm. relationship with my wife. So it extends to all areas of life. And mm -hmm. the same thing can be said about if you, you know, for another, here are some that are grounded in statistics. So if for kids whose families eat dinner together each day, those kids end up doing better in school. They're more popular and they're less likely to become addicted to drugs and alcohol. 
mm-hmm. that's a family keystone habit that creates really yeah. good effects. Another mm-hmm. one is if you make your bed each morning, this is something I don't do, but I w- kind of wish I did. <laughs> it helps you follow through on your commitments and it helps you budget finances more responsibly. They've done statistical studies. They found that people who make their oh, really? beds each day actually end up managing their finances more responsibly because huh. it creates accountability like each day. Yep. Yep. They, they also have found that there was one company that Alcoa, which is in the same book that you referenced, The Power mm-hmm. of Habit. And this company got a new CEO and they focused solely on worker safety. And they're using molten metal to create, you know, steel frames and all of this. And yeah. they, by focusing on worker safety, it improved every aspect of their business because they mm-hmm. had to have really good manufacturing protocols. They had to have really good communication to change the process whenever someone did get injured. They had to always be you know, checking up on the, on the quality and their process and making sure the process was totally flawless and foolproof. So it extended to all aspects of the company and they ended up being one of the best performing you know, stocks in, uh, when, you know, whenever the book was, mm-hmm. was written about them. So yeah, these are examples of, of really good keystone habits, but of course there's also bad ones. Like if you're, if you always, you know, smoke cigarettes when you're feeling stressed or you overeat when you're stressed or, um, you know, you just watch TV and sort of nap whenever you're stressed, then that's also going to carry over to other aspects of your life. And mm-hmm. I keep coming back to this concept that Alan Watts talks about, which is mutual arising because hmm. causality is kind of a low dimensional way of viewing the phenomena of life it's not that okay. by exercising you're causing all of these other positive effects it's more that certain behaviors arise mutually like if you're the type huh. of person that exercises it's more likely that a successful work life will arise and a successful romantic life will arise and a successful, uh, you know, just emotional life will arise. So it's, Hmm. so there are, I mean, you can almost imagine us as like these energy balls in the cosmos that are sort of like spreading out to these other energy areas and they sort of mutually arise together. And Hmm. so I think the more you can sort of pull back the curtain and really view your life, almost from like a third person perspective and see yeah. what makes you tick, what makes you do the things you wish you didn't do, then mm-hmm. you can become totally empowered to basically change your own source code as you need. Yeah. So I guess one question I have is, do you have like, do you have any habits that you're trying to introduce in the new year or do you, do you do new year's resolutions or like, do you try to make goals or systems when the new year comes around? Well, actually I just changed one habit while prepping for this podcast because I was thinking about it. And that's (laughs) that, you know, I don't, I don't drink alcohol. I mean, sometimes I'll have it for like a special occasion, but I I prefer Mm -hmm. weed. It like helps me Mm -hmm. fall asleep, helps me with stress. And like many people, I thought that, vaping weed was a healthier way of consuming it that's what Mm -hmm. seemed logical at the time but now that we've gotten much more information and there's been all the 
you know, the studies about people who have had serious health effects from vaping, I realized mm-hmm. that it's more healthy for me just to just cut it out completely. But it had mm-hmm. kind of become part of my like evening routine. Like, mm-hmm. and so what I did is I basically, I've replaced um, vaping with reading just entirely. And it's to me, oh, like, to me, reading is sort of a treat. Like it's something I do yeah. at the end of a work day just to change my mindset and absorb, just enter like a new fantasy where I read a lot of Murakami, a lot mm-hmm. of, uh, fiction novels. Yeah. And, and so whenever I'm feeling stressed now in the evening, I'll just go and read and I still get the reward of like feeling de-stressed and, just you know taking mm-hmm. a break from from life but i'm replacing my old routine of like you know hitting a vape pen with weed to now just like reading and sort of entering the fictional world of murakami and Interesting. That's, that's my new and i've and since i made that decision like i don't know a week and a half ago i have not vaped at all and i threw out all my vaping stuff so i like I would have to reorder it in order to even get. Yeah. And that's one way to make a system is just make it extremely difficult. Like if you want to stop eating cookies, you just remove the cookies from your house and you don't bring them in your house. Right. So you just increase the barrier to do that thing. But that's really interesting that one of the things that I'm actually trying to do is read more fiction. Oh, interesting. (laughs) So that's one of the, um, the habits that I will work on. Um, forming and that'll be you know instead of looking at a screen essentially is you know I would just kind of scroll through reddit or twitter or something instead of doing that I just move to a book whether that's audiobook or you know Mm -hmm. an actual book um, and what's your system what's going to be your system for doing that well so typically in the evenings I'll just kind of hang out a little bit, chill, maybe scroll through Reddit, read some Twitter feeds. And and I try to curate my Reddit and Twitter feed so it's actually interesting. Like I don't follow like mm-hmm. meme accounts and stuff like that. Um, it's not all politics. Yeah, and I don't. I also don't follow a lot of that stuff either. So it's not like it's, I don't think it's poisoning my mind really, but I, I would just prefer to read a fiction book. And I actually... Um, you just recently got a few Murakami Oh, books. dude, which ones you got? I actually, so I need to look back into it. It wasn't, okay, it wasn't that recently. It was like a couple months ago, so I need to figure out which ones I actually have because I heard you recommend it a while ago. I yeah, like, I love his work. Oh, yeah, it was when you were in Tokyo. I saw you like Murakami oh, yeah, yeah. number one or m- number two, like you were just plowing through yeah. it when you were in Japan. Yeah, um, I'm, th- I'm in his most recent one right now, Killing Commendatore. Uh-huh. And I was a little worried that maybe, you know, he's in his 70s now. And I was like, is he still going to be as good as he's always been? And it is his most masterful novel yet, perhaps. I mean, really, I love his world because it's like he goes through the mundane day to day life. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I'm now I'm cleaning my house and, you know, feeding my cat. And it's just like totally normal life stuff. Mm-hmm. But then yeah. something supernatural will take place and it like spins your whole perspective on the world and Uh, he's just always kind to everyone he never has a mean thought about anyone so it's almost like he's just an observer of all the oddities of our life whether it's habitual or just the weird 
patterns that people mm. embody. And uh, so, yeah. yeah, I guess it's kind of related to habits in, mm. in that respect. Now I'm more excited to start reading him. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to see uh, what your thoughts were on how habits will change in the future. Because one mm. of the things that I've been thinking about is how technology is like shaping our habits. It's it's almost like it's it's really getting deep, especially the apps that are really I say well designed, but you know it's it's designed from a usability perspective. It's they're almost effective. like yeah, like they're effective at getting your eyes on the screen, and I worry about that. And I'm curious what your thoughts are. Definitely. You know, so I'll pull back the curtain a little bit from the way marketers view things mm -hmm. and essentially you are the biggest goal if you're a marketer which i am a marketer your mm -hmm. biggest win is to make your product or service become part of the habits of the customer's life so mm -hmm. for instance if you can build a product like instagram or twitter that it's become so ingrained that whenever someone has a second at a red light or at a crosswalk or even in a meeting that's been going on for a little too long and you habitually pull it out, that's like gold. That is the biggest yeah. win. And mm -hmm. marketers have been really effective at this. Like one, one uh, example that they reference in the Power of Habits book is Pepsodent toothpaste. And before mm -hmm. Pepsodent toothpaste came out, a very small percentage of people, it was only a third of Americans actually brushed their teeth and used toothpaste. Hmm. And by the time, uh, you know, 10 years later, after the marketing campaign had fully taken hold, 65% of Americans used Pepsodent or just wow. used toothpaste and brushed their teeth. And the way they did this, like so many toothpaste had failed at that time. There had been many attempts. But the mm -hmm. reason Pepsodent won is first because they focused on the reward of you'll have a great smile, you'll be beautiful, you'll be more attractive, which implies that you'll have more romantic partners. And that's like always like marketing gold strategy. Yeah. But the other reason why it was so effective is that they had the toothpaste, they added a little bit of citrus, which made your mouth tingle after you brushed your teeth. And people who use Pepsodent toothpaste would then associate cleanliness and attractiveness with that tingling sensation and other toothpaste brands didn't have that tingling sensation so you actually you had the reward that was sort of the abstract role re reward of having a better smile and being more attractive but you also yeah. had the physical sensation of wow this stuff must really be working it's tingling in my mouth and i'm sure everyone can you know knows of certain face washes that also tingle or <laughs> you know shampoos yeah are meant to be extra foamy, even though it doesn't actually help clean your hair, they add the foaming agent because it's like, it just makes you feel like it's working more than it, even though it doesn't actually change yep. anything. Um, same thing with like Febreze was another super effective product. Febreze almost got killed as a product because no one was buying it. And their whole ad campaign was focused on, this will eliminate odors. Do you have bad odors? This will eliminate them. 
but no one mm-hmm. was buying it because the trigger of smelling a bad odor wasn't strong enough. Because if you're living in a smelly place, you tend to not really notice the odors. So the people who needed mm-hmm. it weren't really buying it. But then they struck gold when they changed the strategy. So that was saying, oh, you've just cleaned your room. The end of your cleaning ritual is spraying a little bit of Febreze. And that smell is associated with a job well done. The house is fully clean. So it's not just that your house Mm. looks clean. It also smells clean. And once people did that, then they, they felt like their house wasn't truly clean until they actually had sprayed the Febreze. So the, the customer ended up being people who actually were already neat freaks, didn't really need the product, but it became part of their ritual and it gave them a physical olfactory sensation that they could associate with a job well done, a house well cleaned. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So I guess maybe now we could get into the future scenarios, like how, how all of this changes going forward, unless you had anything else you wanted to touch on before we get there no i think that's good let's i have a, okay. a bit more to say about that but i think it's good to talk about it in the context of the future scenarios so what do you think about the worst case scenario worst case scenario my worst case scenario is building on what i was saying about marketers and products getting more and more effective at persuading people Mm-hmm. So it is. it does seem to be the case that as time goes on, products become better and better at persuading people to take action. And there are a few triggers and rewards that everyone, every human being, every homo sapien resonates with, which is attractiveness. This is going to make you survive better. It'll make you reproduce better. You know, it'll make you more of a valuable member of of society or more esteemed in your own mind or the mind of your friends, mm-hmm. they're only going to get better and better at persuading people to take action. And part of my concern is that people will increasingly fall victim to the habit loops that marketers put in front of them. So mm-hmm. it's never been easier to spend all day watching Netflix and vaping and going on social media and angrily tweeting about Trump and you know playing video games until the wee hours of the night and then not having a good sleep schedule and then you don't eat well because you're tired so you overeat and then the overeating becomes part of your routine. And it does seem like a lot of the issues of America in particular are habit driven. You know, we talked about sleep in our mm-hmm. last episode. There's a sleep epidemic where people are not getting enough sleep. Yep. We have a healthcare epidemic because an incredible, I think it's like half of Americans or 40% of Americans are obese. Mm-hmm. And that's why healthcare costs are, are rising. Mm-hmm. And part of that is due to the marketing efforts of companies like McDonald's and these really unhealthy food chains and food brands. Yeah. And they even found through a study that most families that eat fast food regularly, they don't even intend to eat fast food regularly. It just becomes part of their habit. And that's part Mm -hmm. of the genius of McDonald's and other fast food restaurants. They give you such a consistent experience that you have this overwhelming sense of familiarity 
even if you're in Timbuktu, you can walk into a McDonald's and get that mm -hmm. same French fry that just melts on your tongue with grease and salty flavor <laughs> bursting as soon as it reaches yeah. your mouth. And you yeah. Know how, and so, yeah, so it's like that's going to become more and more powerful. The question is, will society become more powerful at resisting those negative habits and taking mm -hmm. control of their life? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on the worst case. Now, I would, I'll touch on one thing that's sort of a extension of what you were saying is uh, governments also have the ability to drive the habits of their citizens. Mm -hmm. And I think that China is doing a good job of driving habits of obedience and, you know, like not speaking out and all of these these other actions and habits that we associate with China. And I think that's just as dangerous or more dangerous than a lot of the the marketing aspects of habit forming because there are good products like for example and I won't get too much into it because you know this is the worst case but there are good products that form that can help you form actually meaningful and right. life-changing in a positive way like your habits. Apple watch 10,000 step circle yeah or exactly meditation apps yeah checking yeah. checking and getting notifications on my sleep with my aura ring Mm -hmm. uh, same thing. So yeah, I think that um, when governments deliberately use their power and influence to change habits of the citizens, I think that's also one of the worst case scenarios. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you know, I'm a big believer in the power of automation to take the workload off of humanity so that we can actually accomplish what's most fulfilling to us rather than just toiling away our hours mm -hmm. but it's not such a crazy fear that with automation and with ubi that people may fall into the habit of just spending all day you know watching tv or playing video games or sitting on the couch yeah. like if you don't really have to get up and work i wonder if some percentage i'm not saying everyone will but if some percentage of people will just sort of let life happen to them rather than actively living their life. Right. Yeah, I think it's extremely possible. And that that's another thing that I'm really afraid of in the worst case. Um, but maybe to lighten it up a little bit, what do you think about the best case? Best case scenario. Yeah, my best case scenario is, you know that scene in Westworld? where the one robot character has her own, like has the iPad with all of her stats and she can like, mm -hmm. that would be my best case scenario. Like we're <laughs> all essentially that robot that has the ability to change our stats as we see fit. Meaning mm -hmm. the highest consciousness level of humanity, which is associated with the prefrontal cortex, that mm. has maximum power and control over our life. So there's no separation between the type of person you want to be and the type of person you actually are based on how habits are, uh, you know, sort of leading your life in a way you might not intend. Mm -hmm. I would say, you know, just like on, we say a lot on this podcast, having freedom to the fullest extent is big. And I think 
how you get there is superior tracking and awareness mm -hmm. of how you're actually living your life. So I'm very optimistic that now we have sleep trackers, we have fitness trackers, we know that food journaling is a really good practice. So the more that we're able to be aware of our actions, also screen time, you know, Apple now has screen mm -hmm. time. So you can actually see how much time am I wasting each day in Twitter or in whatever app. Mm -hmm. For me, Twitter is the biggest chunk of time that I spend and I get a lot of value out of it, but I could mm -hmm. probably do with a little bit less time each day. Yeah. Yeah. So the more we spread uh, awareness about how we're living our life, the more we'll be able to change it. And part of my best case scenario, just to build on that, is if we can incorporate awareness training into our education and upbringing, and if we can also incorporate willpower training into our education and upbringing, that mm -hmm. is the best path forward. You know, there's the famous study where they have a kid in a room and they say okay here's a marshmallow you can eat this marshmallow right now or i'll leave the room come back five minutes later with a second marshmallow and then if you wait you can eat both of them and kids who waited the full yep. five minutes and ate two marshmallows they tracked their progress later in life and they were healthier they were more successful in school, they had better jobs, they had better relationships than mm -hmm. the kids who just ate the marshmallow immediately. And the, the key is, this is not something that just, oh, you're born with a certain willpower. It's something that really is, is, is uh, you can train it like a muscle. Yeah. Willpower yeah. is a muscle, and the more you train it, the better you'll be at it. And I think you can, mm -hmm. you can go too far. Like you mentioned China. I think in China, it's like people are, have so much willpower to restrain themselves that it's almost like they've relinquished part of their humanity of, of what would otherwise give them the courage to rebel. And like, it seems like Hong Kong doesn't have the same amount of, of willpower training to just do what they're told as the mainland. And that's why they are fighting for their beliefs. But yeah. it's been so ingrained in the mainland that it's just like, I think it's been a little bit detrimental to their society. And, you know, I don't consider myself religious in the context of any particular religion. I do consider myself uh, spiritual. Mm -hmm. But as I was having a conversation with my wife recently and, you know, some uh, some some kids who we know, I won't, won't say who they are, but they're very rambunctious and not the most well-behaved kids. And my, my wife's mom was saying like, man, I just, I wish they had grown up going to church. And it's not because, oh, religion is the, will solve everything, but it's more that if every Sunday as a little kid for one hour, you have to sit still and be respectful. And it's not about you. It's about this yeah. bigger concept yeah. that's being discussed at the front of the, at the front of the church. That will help you later in life. So I'm not saying that's what everyone needs to do, but to ha like meditation class would be another example. You can teach kids mm -hmm. meditation early on, and that will give them far greater willpower and awareness that will be a tool for them throughout their entire life. So that's my yeah. best case scenario. We ingrain those qualities in kids early on, and people practice that throughout their life.
Mm-hmm. And I love that meditation is being taught to kids now. Like mm-hmm. Annika Harris has a whole segment on the Waking Up podcast that is meditation for kids, which yeah. is awesome. When I saw that, it, it was a little mind blowing. And also when she was on the um, Making Sense podcast, um, she talked about how some of these kids had like not profound to an adult realizations, but definitely profound yeah. relative to other kids. And and I think when kids go through this and they can learn this sort of mental restraint, then that's one of those keystone habits that we were talking about. Definitely. And, and I think it's just a really important thing. But yeah, my best case is actually super similar to yours, where basically we have complete sovereignty over our habits. And if we want to change something, we can change it. Like we have power over our biology. And if someone is like, yeah, smoking doesn't serve me anymore, I don't want to do it, then we can break it. And maybe part of this is with uh, psychedelics. Like if we can break habits with psychedelics, with these new tools that are coming out and being researched more heavily, that is actually a best case that is attainable. Like we can truly change habits that are deeply ingrained when we go through these sessions with trained psychotherapists um, using drugs like LSD or like mushrooms. And that, I think, is the way of the future, you know, to some extent. Yeah. Michael Pollan wrote a great book about it, How to Change Your Mind. Mm-hmm. And he yeah. talks about how we, we talked about this in the future of reality, I believe. Mm-hmm. But he talks about this. He uses this metaphor of your mind as a ski slope where it's just covered in snow and your mm-hmm. thought patterns that are the most ingrained. It's like sending a skier down the same path over and over and over again. And that yep. becomes so ingrained that you stop even being aware that you're going down that path. And mm-hmm. what psychedelics do is it basically like removes all those extra layers of the snow so that Good. you have more of just like, an, you know, just like fresh powder that you yep. can choose which paths you go down. And that's mm-hmm. why it's been so effective for so many people to get out of their addiction or to get out of their Mm -hmm. negative thought patterns of something traumatic that happened to them when they were little or something that happened to them when they Mm -hmm. were overseas at war. So I think psychedelics are definitely a big tool that should be used, uh, especially for people that have more extreme cases. Mm. Most likely scenario. I think the likely case is really a mix of the best case and worst case, but I see a lot of positive trends, right? I think that these psychedelics are part of the best case, but it's also the likely case that we start to learn how to use these tools in an effective way so we can change our biology ourselves and really get deep into, you know, the, the brainstem, the basal ganglia and change our habits and form new habits and really have these profound realizations. And that's not the only tool. We might be able to directly control our, our habits through some sort of you know, brain-machine interface that stimulates right. our brains. Like if, if we have some sort of uh, neuronal pathway that gets triggered when we're going to smoke a cigarette, maybe there's a way to like reroute those and they, they've already extent. done this actually where they talk about this in the power of habit where 
you can actually do very mild electro shocks to certain parts of the brain that will basically stunt certain thought patterns that are associated with craving, for instance. So anytime you get a specific thought pattern for craving, you get this little electric jolt that sort of stunts it in its path. And that's actually been pretty effective. Um, you know, it's, it's still, you would have to consider for yourself whether that's worth it to get that sort of thing implanted in your brain. But it just, again, this just shows that there are pathways that can be changed and it's not something that's really ingrained with who you are. It's more that it's just a thought pattern that you've been feeding with energy for so long that it's become yep. automatic, but it doesn't mean it has to stay automatic. You can change it. Yep. So I would say for my most likely scenario, I'm optimistic in that I think younger generations will become more and more aware of their habits and they'll become more and more able to change their habits. And one, you know, one example of this is take the classic example of you get a phishing email from a Nigerian prince and they say something, oh, click on this link or, you know, those don't usually work anymore, but oftentimes now you'll get ones that are like, hey, there's important information about your bank account. Please log in here. And then yep. you enter your password information and then they steal all your money. And mm -hmm. this has happened. It's even happened at places where I've worked. And I'll tell you one thing. It's never the millennials or the Zoomers that click on those links. <sighs> it's almost always the boomers and the older and or maybe Gen X. Mm-hmm. But it's so in that to me tell, says that younger people, because they're digital natives, because they grew up in this environment of products that are using data to persuade people and they're always optimizing to be more and more effective at that persuasion, they mm -hmm. themselves are becoming better at identifying and defending against the persuasion. So my most likely scenario is that, yeah, I think it's going to be tough for older people because they have the same ingrained habits, but they're facing newer, better methods of persuading them. Mm. Whereas for younger people, I think they're just going to become better and better at, um, you know, withstanding the slings and arrows of product marketers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And one thing I will say, just sort of to bring my most likely to a conclusion is that the Buddha was able to overcome his mental habits of craving under the Bodhi tree thousands of years ago. Hmm. He understood how his own mind was working and he also understood the absurdity of always craving something that's more. And that's how he achieved enlightenment. And I think that's very telling. We can follow the lesson of the Buddha by really using our prefrontal cortex to analyze the rest of our brain, the more reptilian primal part of our brain, the basal ganglia, the brainstem, and recognize it for what it is and recognize how absurd the behavior is, maybe even chuckle at how absurd it is. And then we will be free from those mental constraints. And I think it's something that together we can you know, reach that higher plane of consciousness and by doing so, we'll be able to achieve truly great things in the world, whether it's colonizing space or 
overcoming the challenges of AI or climate change or just living a more fulfilling life. Mm. I think it's possible. And I think that as time goes on, there are going to be more and more people like the Buddha, like Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. who are sort of able to get up to that next level of, of uh, you know, the higher consciousness plane and that hopefully that'll create a better society for everyone. Yeah, I completely agree. Awesome. Well, we hope you guys like this New Year's episode. We wish you the best in 2020 as you work to change your habits and become the best version of yourself. And I also just wanted to thank everyone for listening to Hence the Future. You know, we've been doing this only for a little over a year, but it's been really great. And we've gotten some great support on social and YouTube comments and everything. So thank you guys, everyone, for listening. This has been the future of habits. And we'll see you in 